we do have a lot to be thankful for today. We have a lot that God is doing in our midst. We certainly are thankful, uh, Billy, and have been rejoicing uh, with you at that good report. Uh, and we'll continue to pray as the recovery is also a important time uh, uh, for him. And uh, we are also thankful for what God is already beginning to do and stir in the, our midst here at Valley Baptist Church. Are you starting to see it? Is there a little bit of like things firing up in you a little bit? Well, I'll tell you, I, I'm sort of excited because we are entering a phase of, yes, marathon running. <laughs> Let's do a little scripture searching together. If you've got time, you're spending with the Lord, fabulous. Add this to it. If you're not spending time daily in scripture, let's go. (laughs) Let's not wait. Uh, Today is the day. If you hear his voice, right, you respond to him. Don't harden your heart. Let's run together. Let's seek God together. Today we're actually beginning a series Just four weeks, just four Sundays. And if you have to miss one, go back. They're going to be online. You're going to want to listen to them. Where we're going to talk about the characteristics of a true church. Now, we all know what church is, right? I mean, there's one. We're sitting in one right now, right? But is a church really a building? Well, no, no, no. So we all know what a church is, right? But there are different denominations, are they all churches? Well, I, I think so. What is a biblical church? Is it a 501c3 organization institution? Is it something that has pastors and elders? Is it something that, that celebrates Lord's Supper, baptism, communion? What is it that makes a church a church? I actually think when we think about it, it offers some confusion. I discovered this actually in my time of study when I was doing a doctor of ministry degree. For my project, it was all revolving around a group of college students that we said we were a church. And there were people that questioned, "Um, you're a group of college students. Are you really a church? Where are the elders? Everybody's 22 and below (laughs) except my wife and I. And people began to wonder, is that a biblical church? And my professor really challenged me on it. And it made me go back to study what is a church. Well, I looked at the definitions because what do you do? I went to the theology textbooks. And there were two definitions that kept coming up that were wildly inadequate. One is a historic one from uh, one of the creeds um, in the early, early times of the church where it just said, well, the church is one holy apostolic church, right? right? Catholic church, one holy apostolic Catholic church. We've heard that definition, but what does that mean? We're one? Well, we don't seem to be one. There's a whole bunch of churches just in this neighborhood. I mean, we don't seem to be one. Are we holy? What does it mean, holy, set apart for Jesus? I, I could buy that. Catholic? Well, it didn't mean Roman Catholic. It meant universal. Is that apostolic? How do we understand apostolic? Some big questions. Well, the Reformation came along with the Protestant Reformation, and there was another definition that came out. That definition of the church, that definition of the church, said that it is where the word is correctly preached and the sacraments are correctly performed. I'm going to let you in on a secret. Baptists don't even believe there are any sacraments. So all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second. I'm here at this Baptist seminary, and the only definitions we've got are, seem pretty inadequate. 
So I had to decide, where am I going to get a definition for the church to defend my entire doctor of ministry project? Much less it's a more important question, right, than just for my, my little study project. <clears throat> we have a place we go for answers, right? God's Word had to become the place that we look for. What are the characteristics? When we look across the Scripture, what does it seem that the New Testament church uh, did? Who were they? And so today we're going to look at the very first element uh, that I believe is critical to and essential to a local biblical church. And I just call it, the essential number one, slide, the next slide, is that we are a confessional people. A confessional people. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a confessional people? Well, this should make my little scheme work as far as my little uh, confessional, spiritual, you know, I have a little set. It, it made a really good paper. Um, I got an A and I passed and so all of that. But confessional just means this, that there are a set of beliefs. There's things we say we believe. That <clears throat> you could be part of a lot of different organizations, and most of those organizations have some kind of commitment. A church has to have beliefs, some foundational ones. And the very central thing that we confess is that Jesus is Lord. You see it pop up in the scriptures. Look at Matthew chapter 16. That's our focal passage of the day. And it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is. Now, just in case there's confusion, Son of Man was a reference that Jesus used for himself. It comes both from the book of Ezekiel and the book of Daniel. Especially in Daniel, the word, the phrase Son of Man was a reference to the Messiah, was a reference to this promised Savior, was this re reference to this person who would be heir of all of God's creation. So there's some interesting imagery from the Old Testament book of Daniel. Jesus kept calling himself the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. So when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is, they knew he was talking about him, uh, Jesus was talking about himself. And they replied, well, yeah, people are talking. Some think that you might be John the Baptist. You know, that forerunner of Jesus who was killed, it was actually Jesus' cousin, uh, who was killed and, and martyred. They think, John the Baptist has come back from the dead and maybe it's you. You seem to be a lot like him. Others say it's Elijah. There was this idea that Elijah would come back before the Messiah. And maybe Jesus was this forerunner of the Messiah instead of the Messiah himself. Some are saying, no, no, you're just like one of those Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah or one of the other prophets who's performing miracles and showing us God's word. Jesus says, but what about you? Verse 15. What about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, in verse 16, answered, You are the Messiah, or you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here we see that central confession. Jesus, you are the Lord. You are the Christ. You are God's Son. You are the Messiah. You are the one, as the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Colossians, you are the one by whom and for whom the universe was made. You are holding it together, sustaining it by your powerful word. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are that central figure. No one else in history is you because you, and I'm not saying like, 
oh, we're all unique. No, you are king. You are Lord. You are, you are the Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is a personal confession. Who do you say that I am? Do you notice that? Who do you say that I am? Not who does the church say that I am. Not what does the doctrines say that I am. Not what does your grandmother say that I am. But who do you say that I am? It's a personal confession. All of us have to come to a point where we as individuals, and if I was to stop and go down the line, okay, let's start with Josh. Oh, Josh's like, well, me. Um, do we go, well, Vicki, you're next. Um, Rich, you're up. Um, have we made an individual decision to follow Jesus Christ as Lord? To say, Jesus, you need to be my Savior. I belong to you. I have been the sinner. I have walked away. I need forgiveness for my sins. Some of you want to break, pull back away and say, well, no, I'm, I'm part of the church. I, I grew up here. I'm part of the church because, you know, my family, they've always been Christian. I, you know, I'm, I'm Christian. You realize that's not okay. When Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? He's asking not just his disciples, but he's saying to you, who do you say that I am? Every one of us needs to come to that place where we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives individually. That he is our Savior. The church is built on a group of people. It is a group of people that have this as a central confession. That we as a common group of people are saying Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord of us together. He's the Lord of us individually. Without that, we are apart from him. You're going to do that one day. What? What do you mean? Well, look at Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul tells us, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place. And he gave him, Jesus, the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. There will be a day that everyone is going to acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to happen. You can nail it now and let him govern your life, the one who is life, be life to you. You can acknowledge him now and be part of his kingdom forever. Or you acknowledge him then and be shut out of his presence forever. If you haven't made that decision for Jesus Christ now, then you don't belong to him. Jesus calls all of us to a personal decision of faith in Christ. Aaron challenged us earlier. He keeps giving us really good challenges. I don't know if you've noticed that. The 14-day challenge. Thank you, Aaron. It came from Brenda. Thank you guys for that. Now he challenged us to begin to pray for those who are in our circle, that we know our neighbors, our friends, our family members that don't know Jesus yet. They are going to have to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, but they need to know him now. He is our salvation, but he is our only hope for the world. It's a personal decision, not a family one, but the church to be a biblical church is made up of people that we're all on the same page. I don't know if you follow baseball. Any, any of you guys follow baseball at all? Anybody excited about the Orioles? 
Exactly. Nobody's excited about the Orioles, but <clears throat> perhaps all of us that want to be Orioles fans, there's that, well, we, we want to, but we're all disappointed. There's, there, there's something that makes you a Orioles fan and not a Phillies fan or not a Cubs fan or not a Rangers fan, right? There's something that, that holds, because you have that same confession, that same belief that that's our team. It's a personal decision that makes us part of the body, that makes us a church that we all have a personal decision that we've all committed that Jesus is Lord. Brothers and sisters, it's not just a personal one. It's a faith-filled one. It's a faith-filled confession. What do I mean by that? Well, in Romans 10, uh, we heard this passage a little bit earlier today uh, from Amy. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Did you hear the promise of the Lord? It begins with this confession. Yes, Jesus, you are Lord. You are the Lord. You are the Savior. You died on the cross. You rose from the dead. You are Lord. You have to confess it with your mouth and believe in your heart. It's not just a, well, yeah, I said it. Even the demons know that Jesus is Lord. Even the demons know that Jesus rose from the dead. You put your faith in him. We were asked if we've run a marathon. Have you ever done skydiving? That's another one that I'm like, I'm with Aaron. I'm like, yeah, that violates my uh, life insurance policy, so I can't go. (laughs) I mean, I don't know that I want to go. When I was younger, I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. Now that I'm older, I'm like, (laughs) I'm thinking there's no way. There's just no way I'm jumping out of a plane. You see, I actually do believe in parachutes. I believe in them. I believe they work. I've seen them on TV. I believe those things, you know, the people float down. I, I believe in parachutes. But I'm not putting my faith in one. I mean, there is no way that's happening. Whoop, here we go. This one better work. Yeah, nope, it's not working. Okay, I mean, you know, that's just how. It's a faith-filled confession. Jesus is Lord. No, he's my Lord. If Jesus isn't risen, hasn't risen from the dead, I have no hope in this life. If Jesus is not alive, I'm dead. I'm a goner. Because my sins, I'm aware of those. I have no right to be in God's presence at all except because of Jesus. It's a faith-filled confession. He's my hope. He's my parachute. He's my Savior. He's my King. In Matthew 16, we see Jesus react to Peter when he replied, No, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. It's faith. It comes by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's an assurance that we have, even though, look, I, I, I wasn't there. I didn't see Jesus come out of the tomb. But I know in whom I have believed. I know he's alive. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul gives markers of true Christians. And he says, we know, brothers and sisters, that he has chosen you. Why? Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words. See, some of you have heard this kind of stuff over and over again. But that's all it is. It's just a bunch of words. But he says, you're a believer. You're a follower of Jesus. You're a Christian. If it came not just with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Deep. What is that? That's the faith. That's the faith, that deep conviction where you know that you know that you know. This comes from the Holy Spirit. This comes from you taking that leap into Jesus' arms and saying, I believe in you, Jesus. You're my only hope. You are my Savior. Okay, no marathons, no skydiving. 
I did do rappelling one time. You know what rappelling is, right? Where you get a rope and you're hanging on this rope and you have this special kind of belay object and you're kind of going down a mountainside and if you if something happens, you fall and you, you know you die. And it was at a youth camp and I don't I don't know why we took youth to do this. Um, I'm sure my parents would have absolutely been upset. Uh, but we were at the youth camp going down the little rock face and they told us how to do it. There's a rope that you pull. It's on the side. And if you pull it a certain way, it stops you. And if you let it go a little bit, it'll let you go down a little bit, right? And the, the, this rope right here is holding you, but you've got to keep your hand on the brake rope. This is it's so important. If you don't keep your hand on the brake rope, you're in trouble. <clears throat> I slipped. My feet were on the rock, and they slipped. And so my brain just kicked in, and my reaction was, grab onto the rope. And the guy at the top was like, no, because <laughs> he was holding on for dear life. But the brake rope is, keeps you from sliding down the rope. Holding on like this doesn't help you that much. And so he had an emergency rope, and he was hanging on for dear life. But it was the brake rope that kept me tied to the rope that was anchored to the top. We've got to understand that Jesus, when we put our faith in him, um, this personal commitment to him, that, that this commitment uh, of us is one where we launch our whole lives into Jesus and say, you are my life, you are my lifeline, you are all there is. Deep conviction, power, and the Holy Spirit. It's a faith-filled conviction that he is our lifeline. He's our only hope. He is our king. Well, it's a powerful, a powerful confession. It's a powerful confession. I want you to see what Jesus says as Peter makes this claim and says, you're, you are, you're it. You're the Messiah. Verse 18, Jesus goes on to say, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The first thing I want you to understand here, there's a little bit of play on words that Jesus is doing. Just like I have my confessional, spiritual. Jesus was like this too. He liked to make you know, play on words a little bit. The word Peter, uh, the, it, it literally means rock. It kind of means like a little small, little, you know, little stone. But then the word that Jesus uses when he says, upon this church I will build, on this rock I will build my church, he uses the term for a big rock. It's Petros and Petra. Um, very similar words, right? Just to change the ending. But one means kind of a little rock, and one means a big rock. And so some think that he means that, oh, Peter, well, I'm going to build my church on you. I don't think so. Peter, you're a little rock, and you've confessed that I am the Lord. And it's on that confession, on that belief that I am king, that I am Lord. That's the big rock. That's what a church is built on. The church is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, his righteousness, and this confession that he is Lord. On that confession, I'm going to say it's a powerful one because it says the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Here's the picture. I like it. I, I don't know what you think of as gates, but we're always thinking about the attacks of the enemy. Gates are defensive. You can flip to this next slide because gates are like a bunch of doors, right? <laughs> And this confession in Jesus Christ is like the bulldozer. It's going straight through. Jesus is Lord. Now, as a church, I get it. There are big obstacles. How in the world are we going to tell our neighbors about Jesus? How in the world is that going to even work? They don't want to believe in Jesus. No, Jesus is Lord. 
the Holy Spirit is at work. When we believe that Jesus is Lord, we believe that He knocks down the doors. He knocks open the gates. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are in your life or the obstacles that need to be overcome. Jesus is Lord, and those doors aren't doors to Him. Those blockades are not blockades to Him because He is Lord. The gates of hell will not overcome it. They just can't. The, Jesus is coming through. Are we believing that Jesus is Lord? You see, what does it mean? When we say Jesus is the Lord, uh, you can flip to that next slide. It'll just say, He's alive. He's Lord. He is living right now. It means He's in charge of all things. It means that He gives salvation. But when we say Jesus is my Lord, we mean that I have hope because He's alive. It means that I believe that He is the one that gives direction for my life and my beliefs. And quite frankly, for the beliefs of this church, He's Lord. It's, he's the only way to God and He'd have eternal life. Jesus is Lord. It's a powerful confession. The gates of hell will not uh, stand against it. And in fact, Jesus says this in verse 18, On this rock I will build my church. On this rock I will build my church. This confession that He is Lord of every part of our lives. In Matthew 7, Jesus tells a story. And He says, look, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Did you hear what He said? If you are building the house, it's like a man, the one who obeys my words. That's what it said. He hears my words and puts them into practice. Why? Because he's Lord. It's like building your house on the rock. The story goes on to say, but everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. In this story, it's a familiar one. It's really simple. If Jesus is Lord, then we need to act like He's Lord. In Luke chapter 6, we see Jesus telling this exact same story, but in Luke's account, in the Gospel of Luke, it starts with a question. It actually starts with a question. Luke chapter 6, verse 36, it says it this way. Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? Uh, what? You see, when we make the confession that Jesus is Lord, we're not just saying, Jesus, you're my salvation. We are saying that. We're not just saying that, Jesus, you've risen from the dead. We are saying that. We're not saying, Jesus, just saying, you, Jesus, you're my only hope. We're saying, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you to follow you. To know your word. The reason we're to given our 26-day challenge is if we're not listening to his words, how do we know what he's saying? How can we claim he's Lord of our life if we're completely ignoring what Jesus wants to say to us on a daily basis on how to live? Jesus is Lord if he is Lord. Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? Isaiah 26, 8, one of my favorite ones. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Walking in the way of your truth, we wait for you because your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. Yes, Lord. You know what doesn't go together? No, Lord. Not right now, Lord. Lord, I'll get to that eventually. That doesn't work. 
What goes with Lord, if he's Lord, is yes. Yes, sir. Could you imagine the military? Those of you guys who are in the military. Uh, uh, no, Commander. Um, not right now. Um, <clears throat> sorry, General. I'm busy today. Um, could we reschedule? Um, that's not how this goes. It's yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So our challenge today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord, would you say yes to him? Young or old, it doesn't matter. Today is your day. If you've heard his voice, if you want his salvation, the life that he gives, would you say, yes, Lord, be my Savior. I will follow you. In Romans 12, it says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For those of you who maybe you just haven't been walking with the Lord lately, his scripture hasn't been in your life. Would you allow his word to begin to transform you daily by the renewing of your mind? Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, we celebrate that Jesus is Lord. And one way we make that confession as a church is by remembering Jesus' sacrifice. In 1 Corinthians 11, it tells us that every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Today, as a statement of faith, for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I'm going to invite you to do what the Apostle Paul reminds us to do in that chapter. He says, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When you're ready, when you've examined yourself and you're ready, would you take this bread as a remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for you, his death on the cross to pay for your sins? The Apostle Paul goes on to remind us and says, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you take the cup as remembrance of Christ's sacrifice? Let us pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus, who is our Savior and Lord. Thank you for the new covenant, the new agreement in His blood, that you've accepted us and forgiven us our sins. Lord, thank you that you don't leave us on our own. You haven't left us as orphans, but you have given us a King that reigns forever. We've sung to Him. Thank you for making the church's true foundation your Son. Not our beliefs, not our ways, not our best intuitions, but your Son. We are thankful for Him. God, let us sing with our hearts. Let us live with, with integrity the life that you've called us to as we follow him, our Savior and King. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.